0: Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Derek Wills, and you are listening to Lone Star Gun Talk. Welcome to the show. Uh, I need to start off by saying that I am um, apologize for the inconsistencies over the past few weeks on getting episodes out. Uh, I am in the process of selling my house and moving from Houston to Fort Worth uh, to start a new uh, day job. So... Uh, In case y'all don't know, nobody at Lone Star Gun Rights gets a paycheck. We do all of this out of the uh, desire and passion for for protecting Second Amendment rights. And uh, not even our founders uh, get paychecks. In fact, it pretty much costs them money to run this organization, which is why your donations are incredibly important. Um, If you would like to donate, I'm just going to throw this out here. Uh, I'm going to link it also in the description of this podcast, but if you would like to donate, you can go to lonestargr.com slash donate.php and that will take you right to our donation page. Um, But yeah, so I am in the process of selling my house and moving and it's very exciting, but also very stressful, which is why my uh, podcast episodes have not been every week. This will be the last episode of the year. I will be transitioning, moving, and then Uh, My wife and I are taking a vacation. I will be back uh, January 14th. Episodes will resume back every Sunday like clockwork, and this time I promise there will be no unexpected absences or anything like that, and uh, you'll be able to enjoy it regularly again. So just wanted to throw that out there. Also, there is in the works a huge thing coming from Lone Star Gun Rights. We are in the process of planning Gun Gala 2018, and it is going to be a major fundraiser for us. Uh, we are going to have political figures speak. We are going to have dinner. We are going to have uh, silent auctions going on, and uh, it's just going to be a one hell of a good time. Uh, I don't have an exact date yet. We're still planning that. Uh, nor do I have an exact location. Right now we're debating between uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, and Austin. Although uh, I can say that we are leaning a little bit towards Austin, but we still haven't confirmed any of that yet. So stay tuned to the page for that, and uh, we will get you the details for that. I do promise that it will be an epic night, and I would highly encourage you all to come. If you can, we will be doing pre-sale tickets at some point after we get a date and location and um, a few other things that we're kind of working on. It is super exciting, though. Um, I'm not going to give anything away as far as what we're planning because nothing is, is confirmed at this point, but it is going to be super exciting. Stay tuned to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for that and uh, those posts will be pinned to the top of our, pay- our Facebook page whenever the information comes out. So stay tuned for that. So now the meat and potatoes of why you are tuning in, uh, other than me shamelessly plugging the gun rights organization that you already follow on social media. Um, I ran across, this kind of segues from last, or not last week, but two weeks ago's episode when I had, I had Byron Shermbeck on talking about uh, the national reciprocity bill. This is an article from the 10th Amendment Center who I support quite a bit. They have a lot of really good ideas, um, and they, they advocate for a, for states' rights, which I think everybody here understands and, and, and very likely agrees with. I don't think anybody here wants an all-powerful federal government. But one thing that I did take exception to, and, and if you didn't catch last, uh, last episode, Go back and listen to it, but to kind of recap, uh, we don't support national reciprocity. We think that it uh, it takes too much, it gives too much power to the federal government, and it it opens the door for so much more gun control. Should the Democrats ever take over Congress again, which is only a matter of time, because you know we have these cycles—Democrats, Republicans—all you know, the change of power is always there. So. We really need to be weary about what type of power we instill and support at the federal level. And one thing that the Tenth Amendment Center uh, says is is something along those lines. Uh, But they said this. This issue can be addressed from both a legal and constitutional standpoint and from a general philosophical decentralist view. Suzanne Sherman at the Tenth Amendment Center has already weighed in against the idea on constitutional grounds, based on two main arguments. One, reciprocity laws are compacts made among the states and are not imposed by the federal government. That is very true. The state of Texas has reciprocity with 37 other states. Those are agreements entered into by those states and the state of Texas. These agreements are there to allow you to exercise your right to carry in their states with a license from the state of Texas. Now, there is the second point that I don't agree with. The Bill of Rights doesn't apply to the states. This is, this is an argument that I have heard on several occasions by some former uh, members of the Texas legislature, my other prominent people of influence. I've heard the same talking point that the Bill of Rights does not uh, extend to the states. This is completely incorrect. If anybody's actually read the Constitution, you know how it's it's laid out. The first three articles establish the role of each branch of government. And then you have Article 4, which talks about the states. Article 5 tells everybody how you can amend the Constitution. Article 6 says this is the legal status. It's basically the supremacy clause. And Article 7 is how the Constitution is to be ratified. It only applied at the time in 1787. So to have this idea that the amendments do not apply to the states is just factually incorrect because you have an entire Article 1 that applies to the states, and then you have the other uh, articles that apply to the individual branches of government. And I want to understand, since it already has established a precedent of saying this is what the states can and cannot do per Article 4. Where does the logic come from that any amendment protecting individual liberties does not apply to the states? Because be, these liberties are not granted by the government. They are not granted by the Constitution. These rights are granted from our Creator. If you do not believe in God, then... Uh, They are inherent to us as individuals and as human beings. So these rights aren't granted by governments, so they have to apply to the states as well. In fact, if you read the Bill of Rights, there is only one amendment that specifically talks about Congress, and it's the First Amendment. So if you're going to make an argument that the Bill of Rights apply does not apply to the states, then the only one that you could really make that argument about is the First Amendment. Now, we're gonna do a quick civics lesson here. The First Amendment says this, and this is why it, it could be made, the argument could be made that this only applies to uh, the federal government. And then I'm gonna explain why it doesn't afterwards. So, Amendment 1. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, it can be made, the argument can be made that because this specifies Congress, which is specified in Article 1, about the legislature and how those powers are instituted in Congress, it could be made that the First Amendment does not apply to the states. However, going back into history, we see a letter that the Danbury Baptists wrote to then-President Thomas Jefferson on October 7, 1801, and it says in part this, Our sentiments are uniformly on the side of religious liberty, that religion is at all times, in places, a matter between God and individuals. But, sir, our constitution of government is not specific. He's talking here specifically about the constitution of the state of Connecticut. Our ancient charter, together with the laws made coincident therewith, were adapted as the basis of our government and at the time of our revolution. And such has been our laws and usages, and such still are, that religion is considered as the first object of legislation, and therefore what religious privileges we enjoy as a minor part of the state, we enjoy as favors granted and not as inalienable rights. So what their concern was is that because the constitution of the state of Connecticut did not specifically protect freedom of religion, they were worried that there was an authority of the state of Connecticut to usurp their religious freedoms. Now, this is where the famous letter from Jefferson replying to this coined the phrase separation of church and state that is often way overused and not understood. So, in part, Jefferson wrote this in return, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other than for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should, quote, make no law respecting an establishment of religion Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Well, that sounds familiar. I just read that. It's in the First Amendment. Thus, building a wall of separation between church and state. Adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of the conscience, I shall see with the sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights convinced he has no natural rights in opposition to his social duties. So what Jefferson is saying here, and I'm going to kind of emphasize this again, he says, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people that declared that their legislature should make no law respecting the establishment of religion. So he doesn't talk about Congress here. He talks about the American people and their legislature, and it could be talking about Congress, and he is, but he is also talking about their legislature in the state in which they reside. So Jefferson here essentially says that the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment, which is the only one that says Congress shall make no law, does in fact apply to the state's. And the Danbury Baptists were convinced with this letter, with this reply, that their right to practice their religion would be protected, even if their state constitution did not specifically protect um, their, their right in that constitution. Now, as far as the Second Amendment is concerned, it does not mention Congress or the states. It simply says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't see anywhere in that that says it only applies to, the, uh, to Congress, it only applies to the federal government, or it does not apply to the states. I don't see how that... Um, I don't see how that happens. I don't see how they can draw that conclusion. Furthermore, the Tenth Amendment makes everything very clear. And it says, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. So unless it says that the federal government can do it, or it says that the state governments can't do it, it belongs to the states and to us. So, because the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, do not specify that it's the federal government that can't do it or the state government that can't do it, it is understood that it applies to both. And even Jefferson recognized that because, even though the First Amendment says Congress, it is understood that it also applies to the states. Now, all of this aside, it no longer matters. The d- debate was essentially settled in um, after the Civil War with the ratification of the 14th Amendment. And that says that rights are guaranteed and that no state uh, shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge abri- the privileges of the citizens of the United States. So even if somebody wanted to make that argument and did not... Uh, was not satisfied with the fact that the Constitution doesn't say that, so therefore it applies to everybody. Um, You could always just point to the 14th Amendment, which says that the states cannot impose restrictions on the liberties protected by the Constitution. So that's that. Now, as far as national reciprocity goes, yes, every state cannot impose restrictions on the second amendment. California's gun laws are completely unconstitutional. Some of Texas's well, Texas's gun laws are unconstitutional. They go against our natural god-given right to protect ourselves, to the right to keep and bear arms. And I know many of you probably think that background checks are a good thing. But again, I maintain that even if you believe if, or if you believe that these rights come from our creator or come from or are just inherent to us as human beings, then that does not grant the government the authority to take those rights away. They can merely, they can suspend them from the time that you're incarcerated until the time that you are released back out into society. And that's that. After that, you have your rights restored. It doesn't matter how you feel on the subject because rights aren't contingent on feelings. And I know this sounds a little bit brash, but I feel that it's a point that needs to be made again. I don't like when people burn the American flag and trample on it, but they absolutely have the right to do that. Just because I don't like the fact or the person that, or the way they exercise their rights does not grant me the authority or anybody else the authority to say that they do not have the right or to take that right away from them. This is one thing that scares me about national reciprocity. It does seem as if it, the federal government is stepping in and telling the states you cannot prohibit somebody who has a license from carrying. But I I just fear what that type of power will do in the hands of people who do not agree with us on gun rights. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. I pretty much, we hammered this uh, last episode and I just wanted to touch on it again. But anyway, there is one other thing that I wanted to touch on and something that I came across. It is from the March 1968 edition of the American Rifleman. I found one of the articles in there quite entertaining. And I know that... I'm just going to warn you now. If you don't like my NRA bashing, then you should probably turn the podcast off. Because this is uh, this is quite the amazing piece for somebody who who doesn't care for the NRA, thinks that they are not actually a gun rights organization. So like I said, this is from 1968, the, the year that the Congress adopted the Gun Control Act of 68. It opens by saying this, and here's the headline, where the NRA stands on gun legislation. And it says this, this is the first, um, first sentence, and it's a quote by Senator Robert Kennedy. Quote, I think it's a terrible indictment of the National Rifle Association that they haven't supported any legislation to try and control the misuse of rifles and pistols in this country. Well, that sounds familiar. That sounds like the exact same thing that uh, the left tries to do about the NRA now. The only th- difference is that in this article, they go through and talk about every piece of gun control which at the time there were only two that the National Rifle Association supported nobody on the republican side of the aisle today ever says that the the NRA supported these gun control bills it just doesn't happen so what this uh What this article goes into saying is they've supported plenty of gun control legislation. I'm going to skip through um, and says the NRA position uh, emphasizes that the NRA has consistently supported gun legislation, which it feels would penalize misuse of guns without harassing law abiding hunters, target shooters and collectors, because that's what the Second Amendment is about. Keep in mind, this is the American Rifleman magazine. Apparently it's supposed to be pro-gun, and the NRA is supposed to be pro 2A, but anyway, here is the record over the years. Item. The late Carl T. Frederick, an NRA president, served for years as a special consultant with the commissioners on the uniform state laws to frame the Uniform Firearms Act of 1930. It specifically forbids the delivery of pistols to convicts, drug addicts, habitual drunkards, incompetents, and minors under the age of 18. Well, I I guess if you're an alcoholic, then the NRA at one time supported that you shouldn't have your gun rights because that's a qualifier. Even though most of the revolutionary planning was done in a pub, but what do I know? Uh, Next item, the NRA supported the National Firearms Act of 1934, which taxes and requires registration of such firearms as machine guns, sawed-off rifles, and sawed-off shotguns. Keep in mind, the statement before this list says the NRA uh, supports gun legislation it feels would penalize the misuse of guns without harassing law-abiding hunters, target shooters, and collectors. So I fail to see... Exactly how the uh, NFA did any of that, nor do I understand how this other piece of legislation, uh, the Uniform Firearms Act of 1930 uh, prevents the misuse of firearms. Uh, item The NRA supported the Federal Firearms Act of 1938, which regulates the interstate commerce in uh, firearms and pistols or revolver ammunition and prohibits the movement in interstate or foreign commerce of firearms and ammunitions between certain persons under certain conditions. So, uh, and anyway, this article is basically designed to say, yeah, the NRA is very pro-gun legislation. That's the term they used. They didn't have gun control, apparently. And here's how they did all of this. Here's a full list for everybody to see of all the gun control legislation that they had supported, and you have Robert Kennedy of all people, Robert Kennedy, defending the National Rifle uh, Association uh, against the attacks of apparently somebody saying that the National Rifle Association does not favor gun control. Well, that it, it sounds so similar today, it's shocking. Anyway, I just thought that I would share that with you. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Um, you know, I, I don't think that I have to make my stance on the NRA known anymore. I think it's pretty obvious, especially after the whole um, bump stock thing. And so I just, I think it was, I think it's funny. And I'm going to find a way to post this on Facebook. It's a, uh, it's a full article. It's two pages long, but it is quite the entertaining read. Anyway, that is going to do it for me. I hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Have a wonderful new year. And I will see y'all on January 14th. And until then, Lone Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo.